1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The word of the Lord. Praise God. Good morning, church. I was, uh, I'm always given ongoing coaching and, uh, you know, just feedback from the pastors at the church on how I can continue to improve. Uh, one of the pieces of feedback was that I shouldn't bring uh, iced coffee or lattes up because it's slightly distracting. Uh, so I only have a glass of water uh, today as, we, as I preach. Uh, but what we're doing today is continuing our series on Timothy. And so if you've been with us, we've been working our way uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I really enjoy Timothy because he provides, a, uh, because Paul provides Timothy a lot of great uh, practical application that we can apply even today, 2,000 years later, uh, which is amazing to me. So as we go back and reflect on Timothy, there's a lot of great things that we can apply even today. And I really like uh, what Mark Driscoll said. So he was preaching on Timothy, and he really summarized uh, the church into two elements. He said the church is simple. It's really all about Jesus, and it's all about people. That's it. If you look at the church, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about people. And that makes it really simple to understand. But there are two variables that seem to screw up that equation all the time. And it was screwing it up back then, and it screws it up even today. And so one of those variables are the men in the church, and the other variable are the women in the church. So other than that, the church equation is very simple, very straightforward. And so if we look at what was happening back in Ephesus when Timothy, a young church planter, was leading that church, that's exactly what was going on. They were messing up that equation. And so the church should all be about Jesus and people and the church preaching the gospel to people. But we see that um, as uh, Timothy was leading that church, there were issues between the men and the women and all types of matters uh, that were coming to a head. And so Paul, as an older uh, pastor, provides him some very practical guidance, very good instruction, and uh, instruction that is so good that we can continue to learn and understand from it 2,000 years later, which blows my mind. And so if we look at Timothy, we see that we've already talked about uh, topics like greed and church discipline, neglect, uh, the dangers of false teachers. There's a whole slew of very practical topics that we've already talked about, which you can find online at our website. And today we're going to talk about prayer and the beauty of prayer, which comes from the scripture we just read, which is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. 
And I just want to read that one more time because I, I want us to really uh, meditate on the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. Maybe people thought he was lying, but he's saying, I'm telling the truth. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so we're going to delve a little deeply into prayer. So what do you think of when you hear the word prayer? I'm not going to make you answer. I'd love to make you answer. Um, You know, unfortunately for me, words like, I want words like beautiful and poetic and supernatural. I want those words to pop into my mind when I think of prayer. But the truth is, those are probably the last words that come to mind. I think of challenging and difficult and tedious. And one more word that comes to mind, one more. For some reason, the word sleep comes to mind when I think of the word prayer. You know, I'll, I'll have to admit, there may have been a time or two, that's it, maybe one or two times in family prayer when Liz, who has already understood everything there is about the scripture when it says pray for all, uh, starts to pray and prays for all men, all women, your mother, their mother's mother, their mother's mother's mother. So Liz doesn't even have to listen to this message because she's got the point. But that's what Paul is telling us, to pray for all men, all, all women, all leaders, And that's what we want to dig into. Why is he saying that? He's urging us to pray. And it says here that we may lead a good and peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we're not simply praying for our brothers and sisters, that they may be wealthy, that they may be healthy, that they may have good lives. But we are not simply praying for our leaders, that we may have peace in the land, that we may have uh, prosperity and joy and and just have, you know, a a beautiful country to live in. But Paul is much more focused on something that is much more important. He is focused on the gospel. Surprise, surprise. Paul, preaching about the gospel. But he says that our prayer must be focused on on the gospel and the word of God and reaching the lost and saving those who don't know Jesus Christ. He is urging that we pray far and wide for people and specific people. So if we look at verse 3 and 4, we see that God desires all people to be saved. So much so, if we jump to verses 6 and 7, we see that he gave his only son to die. The man Christ, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all on the cross. I want us to hear 
with both ears loud and clear what he is saying. God desires to save all people, so much so that he gave his son as a ransom for all. Great. Story's done. We can leave. No, but we have a part in this equation. We have something. We have a role in this whole equation of church and Jesus and people. We have a responsibility, and that is to pray. That is to pray, and that is a responsibility, church, that we cannot take lightly because Paul is dedicating verses. This is a letter he's writing in prison painfully, and he is taking the time to write about prayer. So I want us to delve into a few elements of prayer and why it's so important. So why do we pray? Why do we pray for others? First and foremost, it is an act of love that we pray for our brothers and sisters. It is an act of love. So Jesus' primary command while he was here on earth was that we love God and love our neighbors. And we see Jesus living this out while he was here for 33 years. He lived it. He breathed it. He did this. He loved other people. And so how did he do that? He was ministering, yes, to their physical needs. He was healing the sick. He was making the lame walk, the blind see. He was feeding them when they were hungry. He was spending time with them. That's all wonderful and beautiful. But what do we see even more? After he would spend Eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours with them in the burning sun, he would go back into his corner. And if it was me, I'm out. I'm lights out. I am sleeping. I am snoring. My wife will tell you I'll be snoring louder than whatever. I would be out cold. But that is not Jesus. After, you know, I would be thinking, man, I already loved these people. I did. I shoot, I just fed 5,000 people. That's a lot of love. That's 5,000 people I just love. And their mothers and their brothers, whatever. I would be out cold. Like, I've loved enough for the day. If there's a quota on love, Jesus hit that quota for the day. But that's not what he does. He goes back when there's no one else around, when there's no one to see, when everybody else is gone and he is on his knees And he takes those people before the Lord in prayer. His love didn't stop with meeting their physical needs. His love didn't stop with the time that he spent with them. But he is back on his knees crying out for those people. That those that heard the gospel would be saved. And that those that accepted the gospel would be held strong. And that the word of truth would be lodged in their hearts so that the enemy could not take it. They are, he is praying for them. That is love. That is an act of love. We must love our brothers and sisters, and we can do that by praying for their spiritual well-being. How can we love the, our, our neighbors if we never pray for them? I mean, that's a word that really began to convict me as I began to prepare and study And this concept came out, and and the question came to me, how can we say we love our brother and our sister if we have never done such a simple and easy act as that of prayer? If we have never prayed, never uttered their name, and yet we see them day in and day out, and we say we love them, 
one question that has to come to mind is, if we cannot even pray for them, is there an issue of love? And we see that Christ is the perfect example here. This was a huge takeaway, this concept of prayer and being on mission in our missions workshop when Pastor Doug Logan was here. Because I spent so much time wrestling with mission and we talk about mission and we say we have to be on mission and we have to talk to our neighbors and we have to talk to our coworkers. And I'm trying to think through all these strategies of how do I get this conversation to happen and how do I you know, make this thing work and what do I say and Lord, what, tell me something. And Doug's point was pray. Why don't you start there, dummy? That's what I felt like <laughs> it was hitting to me. I'm like, you know, I'm wrestling with all this. And he was like, pray. And that smacked me in the face. And then the gut and the side, I don't know, I was beating myself up. I felt like the spirit was beating me up, which he should every day. That's a whole different thing. But <laughs> uh, I felt like, man, that is so simple and yet so true. How can we say I, we love our neighbors and our coworkers? How can we say we want them to be saved? And I have yet to utter my coworker's name in prayer. I have yet, I've done it since, please. I've done it since. But up until that point, a very practical application for me, I, was pr I wanted my coworkers to be saved, and there were coworkers' names I had never uttered in prayer. I wanted my neighbors to be saved. And in the neighborhood I lived in, I did not know their names. I probably didn't even know their faces. But yet, in my mind, I wanted them to be saved. How? We have to pray. And it's an act of love that we pray. I'm not saying that we stop praying for physical needs. I'm not saying that we just uh, stop praying for people to be healed and for... Uh, jobs and those types of things. If your brother has lost their job, pray that they, they get a job. If your brother, your father, your mother is sick, pray that they are healed. But I'm going to, uh, again, I'm going to ask you, don't just say you're going to pray. We have to actually pray. Boom! That, that hit me hard as well. Because I, I say that like I say, how are you? I, sa I say I'm going to pray for you, like I say, good morning. And, I and there have been so many times where I forget to pray. How can we be loving our neighbors, our friends? Oh, and we tell them to their face, I am going to pray for you. And we walk out and never give it another thought. Never. It's an issue of forgetfulness. And it's an issue of laziness. Do we love our brothers and sisters that we tell we're going to pray for and we walk out and never, ever, ever pray? I'm saying there's no more excuses. For me, again, my wife will tell you I am slightly forgetful. There are certain things that are la laser locked in my head I will never forget, and it's bad. I mean, if it has to do with work, I will never forget. I will pull out conversations that happened six months ago and people are like, man, at least thought you forgot that. But then there are some issue, there's some issue in my heart that I will tell somebody, I will pray for you, and for some reason it will not log in my mind. And so I'm saying there's some practical things we can do about that issue. We can write it down. Yes, 
We can take a pen and paper and write it down. We can put it in our phone. We can create prayer lists. We can do some very practical things so that when we tell someone we're going to pray for them, immediately write that down. Because if we are going to say that we love our neighbors, we love our brothers, we love our sisters, we love our coworkers, and they ask us to pray and we say we're going to pray and we never pray, I would say that that is very unloving. At least that's the way it convicted my heart. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do better. I'm going to start to write this down. Because I do love my brother. I just have no memory whatsoever. And I'm going to write it down, and I am going to pray for my brothers and sisters. The second reason we want to pray is to tap into God's power. You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what, what we, our social status is. But God can do so much more than we can do. God can do so much more. We think we can do something to help our brothers and sisters. We think we can do something to bring them uh, to the saving uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you that God can do so much more. And so, yes, we must be on mission. We must share the gospel. But we can't do any of this unless we pray because no words will convict a person. No program, no church. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that will bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so we have to tap into God's power and stop relying on our power. God who created the heaven and the earth, God created everything that we see. How much more power does he have than we do? And we can access that power by praying to him, by simply seeking his face. We are so used to relying on ourselves. We think we've got it all figured out. And in this culture, you know, it's all about being independent and doing things on our own. Ever since we were born, you know, it's, it's all about independence and you figure it out. You have an issue, you figure it out. And if somebody brings you an issue, you solve that issue. You, uh, immediately, you, you start to think, hey, this is my issue to solve. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, there may be some things you can solve, but there is a God that can do that work on our behalf. You know, while Jesus was here on earth, he made the lame to walk, the blind to see. He's done so much, and he has power that we just do not. So let me give you a very practical example. And everything relates back to work, because I'm there enough, and so I've got a few examples. And so... Uh, I've hired some folks on my team, and they've been getting up to speed on how to work and operate at Comcast and the culture and the politics, and there's so many different things and figuring out what it is we do and how do we do it. And so every now and then they'll run into an issue, and they can't get that issue resolved. Maybe it's a team that's not helping them. Maybe it's a, a, you know, a goal or a timeline that was missed, and somebody's not uh, helping to resolve that issue. And so they'll give me a call and say, Dennis, I've got this issue. This team is not responding. I've sent them emails. I left them voicemails. I've camped out in front of their desk. They don't want to talk to me. I need this from them to hit our timeline. Fine. That's fine. That's no problem. I'm going to send an email, and I'm going to drop a voicemail. And nine times out of ten, that issue is resolved within the hour after they've spent days and weeks trying to figure that out. And my only point is, in my little universe, 
In my little world and sphere of control, I have a little bit of power. And they know when to access that power to get things done. And I'm here to tell you that we have a God who has infinitely more power, that has infinitely more capability and skill that we can access anytime without condition. He doesn't say, hey, don't come to me every time with your problems. Come to me 50% of the time. He doesn't say, hey, you know, you're coming to me too much to help you out. You bail yourself out in these type of things, and I'll bail you out in these type of things. That's not the concept at all. God, we have free access to the power of God who created heaven and earth. And now it is our responsibility to pray to access that power. So he can do the work. He can heal. He can open the doors for a job. He can save the lost. And likely we're going to need to participate in that process. We're going to need to do some work in that to help our brothers and sisters. But most of all, we need to pray and access the power of God to help us. So next, third, when we pray, as Paul indicates, we should pray for the salvation of all men. So what does that mean? In my mind, in my simple mind, I would cover that by saying, God bless America. And I just prayed for everybody. And then God blessed the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere and the Eastern Hemisphere and the Western Hemisphere and blessed the universe. So that if there are any Martians out there, you know, God bless them as well. But that's, I wish that, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. God is not saying just pray in generalities for all people. God is challenging us, and Paul specifically is challenging us to pray very specifically for all types of people, that they may be saved, not just your friends, not just your family, not just people that look like you and act like you and think like you and walk like you and talk like you, but Paul is challenging us to pray very specifically for folks that don't have anything to do with your worldview, that don't have anything to do and want nothing to do with the way you think or look or talk or act. You may have neighbors and coworkers that are repulsed by the thought of you coming to church and some of your worldviews on social justice issues. But those are the people that we must pray for we must pray for the groups that we support and the groups that we don't support and the groups that we abhor and hate. That, that this concept of hate is, has come out in the world, but we cannot be a church that hates. We have to be a church that loves, and the way we manifest our love is to pray. And we pray for all people, very specifically. And this was a huge conviction for me, I think for decades. I just prayed for the people I knew. There was a very standard set of people I prayed for. And that was it. And Paul is challenging us to pray for the people we know and love and are very close to and to pray for those folks that are very, very different from us, even if they are enemies of the church, even if they abhor everything we stand for, we must pray for those people. And so a great example of this is Paul. So some of you may know before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and he was the greatest enemy of the church in that day. And so his mission was not only to stifle the gospel and not only to stop uh, people from becoming Christian, 
His main mission was to kill Christians. His main mission was to torture them, to persecute them, to destroy Christians. That was his objective. And I think back, man, if I lived in that day, I would be praying for that brother. I would be. I would be praying every day, Lord, send a lightning bolt and strike that man down where he stands. Or I would be praying, Lord, and I think this is possible in those days, when he's walking on that road, let a bear come out from that forest and swallow him whole. That would be my prayer. But I praise God that there were people in that day that had way more sense in their head than I did that I believe were praying for Paul and crying out for his soul and crying out that he would be saved and that Jesus would meet him on his road, traveling to persecute Christians, and that Jesus would come and meet and transform him. And that is exactly what happens. On his road to Damascus, Jesus comes and meets Paul, enemy number one of Christians far and wide, because someone was praying. I don't know who. Ajay knows the whole Bible. Ask him. He'll find out who. But someone was praying, and he was transformed that day. Are we praying for all people? Not just our friends. Not just our family. Not just those that we are close to in some way, shape, or form. But groups and people and individuals that we may want nothing to do with, never meet, hate groups, are we praying that God come and save them and transform them? Let us be a church that is marked with love and not hate, and let that love be manifest in our prayers. Fourth, we find Paul telling us to pray for our rulers and leaders and people in high places. And Paul is not just saying this so that we can live in peace and tranquility. I can understand how you would think that if you stop at verse 2, because that's exactly what he says. He says, let's live in peace and all that stuff. But then if you go on to verse 3 and 4, you can see that his true focus, as typical Paul, is that the gospel may go forth. We are praying for these leaders and rulers so that the gospel may go forth, because God desires to save all, and he gave Jesus Christ as a ransom for all. And so, we have to pray for these rulers. The first thing we need to understand is Paul's context. When is he saying this? He is saying this in prison, and he has been imprisoned by the rulers and the leaders of that day. And he is there suffering. He is there under tribulation. He is there likely about to be tried, persecuted, and killed. And yet, he writes to the people of Ephesus and to Timothy to pray for these leaders. He says pray for them, not to save his skin, not to pray that somehow he is saved, but he sees the big picture. And the big picture is that in that time, the gospel was going forth like wildfire, and people were being saved, and churches were being planted. And he is praying that the climate, the political climate, will be peaceful such that the gospel can go forth. 
He is praying, pray for these leaders that it is peaceful and tranquil, that we can continue to share the gospel and that people may be saved, that lives may be transformed, that the word of Christ may go forth, that the truth may be proclaimed. That is why we pray. There's so many reasons to pray for these rulers, but we pray that the Lord's message may be heard far and wide. We have little ability to influence the day-to-day -day of our leaders. I don't know how many folks have uh, the mayor's number on speed dial. I don't. Or the governors, or the senators, or the congressmen, or the president. We have little ability to influence their day-to-day. -day. But I want you to be comforted knowing that Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so all of these leaders, every single one, has been placed there by God himself. And we can see that God uses these leaders many times to accomplish his goals, his objectives, his agenda. If we look at uh, the Old Testament, we can see kings like the king of Assyria and King Nebuchadnezzar, who specifically carried out the will of God in accordance with his people, and they did not know God, they did not love God, they were the enemies of God. But they carried out the will of God because God gave them that authority. And then if we jump to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says, no king, it says the king's heart is a stream of water, in the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. So these leaders, they may not know God, they may not love God, and if that's the case, it is absolutely our responsibility to pray that they are saved. If we know that they are not saved, we must pray that they are saved. But then know that even if they are not saved, God has their power under control that God can influence, that God can work through them, that God can do a great work through those leaders, even if they are not saved, because they have been given that authority by God himself. The key here is that we can impact many, many people uh, through these leaders. These leaders can impact, God can impact many people through these leaders. You can say that we get the most bang for our buck by praying for these leaders. There's very few of us that can impact whole communities, whole cities, whole states, but these are the individual, whole countries. The President of the United States can impact not just this country, but many, many countries. How can we not pray for that man, a man that has such influence and such power? We pray that he is saved and we pray that God is working through him. We pray for our leaders and our rulers. Many of us don't have the time to get involved with local politics. I myself have often frustrated by the politics of the land and, and the way that laws are written and the way that policies are made. And, and I know that there's ways that you can get involved and you know, part of me doesn't have the interest, part of me doesn't have the skill, um, and, but I'm very gu guilty of the fact that I've done little to nothing and I haven't even prayed. I haven't even prayed. So if there's nothing else, brothers and sisters, we can pray. 
for these rulers. We can pray for these leaders because they have, they can influence many. They can impact all. They can impact all. And we know that the word says that God desires all to be saved. And he gave his son as a ransom for all. Finally, I want us to look at the most compelling example, which is Jesus Christ. And so I mentioned before that Jesus shared his love for others by prayer, through prayer and through works and all the stuff. But the two examples that strike me the most are when he prays as he prepares to uh, give himself as a ransom and his prayer when he is literally on the cross giving himself as a ransom. And so if we look at John chapter 17, verses 13 to 19, we see that Christ is praying. He's getting ready. These are the days leading up to the crucifixion, uh, moments leading up to the crucifixion. He is about to be tried. He is about to go through incredible suffering as he offers himself as a ransom for all, as the scripture says. And Jesus is praying. And he isn't praying, he isn't spending all his time praying about, Lord, give me the physical strength. Lord, give me the mental strength. Lord, give me the emotional strength, which is exactly what I'd be praying for. Lord, just get me the heck out of here. I mean, that's, that's my prayer. Lord, make me, this doesn't even sound, make any sense. Make me Superman, but he is Superman, he's Jesus Christ. But Lord, let me not feel the pain. Lord, help me to endure that would be, it would be all about me at that moment. I, I'm sorry. All the love is gone. I'm praying for myself. But that's not what Jesus does. He starts to pray for those that love him and that know him and that accepted the word from him. And he says in verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not know, they, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. And so he's praying and he's wrestling with God, not for himself, but for those that have accepted the word of God. He is praying for those people. He knows that all hell is about to break loose. He's about to be crucified. He's going to rise again. He's going to be taken into the heavens and persecution is about to begin and Christians are about to suffer and he knows all this and he begins to pray for them God hold them strong God give them strength give them joy let the word be deeply rooted in their hearts let not the enemy attack them he is praying for his brothers and sisters and then if you continue in 17 sanctify them in truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. He is praying for their spiritual needs. He is praying for others. Even in this time of peril and trial, even when he's about to undergo the most difficult experience of his life, he is praying for all men for their spiritual well-being these believers and followers that are about to go through persecution and trial, he is upholding them in prayer. But it doesn't stop there. If we fast forward a few verses and a few chapters, 
uh, we find that Jesus Christ is now hanging on the cross. And we find Christ hanging there, beaten and bruised. We find him just physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted. We find him just barely hanging on for life. And he's there, hanging. Because he is a ransom for all. And because, all, because God desires all to be saved. And in that moment, again, if it was me, I would cry out, Father, send your angels and crush them. I would cry out, Father, remove me emotionally, spiritually from this place that I can bear what is happening. I'd say, Father, comfort me, strengthen me, help me. If nothing else, I would cry out, help. But we find that Jesus, in Luke 23, 34, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is literally praying for the salvation of those that hung him on that cross as he offers himself as a ransom for all. He is literally praying that they would be saved, even though they have tortured and humiliated him and are putting him to death. That is an act of love. And that is what Paul is commanding us to do today. He is commanding us to pray because we must love our fellow man. He is commanding us to pray to tap into the power of God because God can do so much more than we can. He is commanding us to pray for our leaders and our rulers because they can impact all and they have such a broad span of influence and they can impact all for the gospel. And if we look at Christ, he provides us that ultimate example. This is how we must pray. So let us not go forth from this place saying we are going to pray. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us, knowing that, Jesus, that God desires all to be saved. And that he desires them to be saved so much so that he gave Christ as a ransom. And now our role in that equation is to pray. May God bless you with these words. pray together. Father, in obedience to the word we have just received, we now pray together. And we do thank you for the heart you revealed in your word. We wouldn't know who you were except you revealed yourself to us, and your heart is one that desires for all people to be saved. And that desire fleshed itself out in your son becoming flesh and giving his life as a ransom for all, paying our many debts that we could not pay. And Lord, now we participate in your great work by praying for the advance and spread of the gospel that many and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, help us to love those you have called us to love and to express that love through prayer. Lord, help us to pray and we do even today we pray for our mayor and we pray for our leaders and we pray for our senator 
We pray for our governor and our president. We pray for all those who exercise authority and leadership and influence, that they would know you and that they would rule wisely and well and under their reign, the, the gospel would advance and all would be saved. And we do give you thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ to know that he died praying and to know that he rose again and even now your word says he is interceding for us, praying for us, upholding us in our faith. So we praise you for that. We give you thanks and ask that you would transform us by the hearing of this word. In Jesus' name, amen.